We would like to welcome you to our weekly broadcast of Harvest Worship Center's Sunday morning celebration service. We hope and pray that you will receive something from the Lord today. And we ask you to stay tuned at the end of the message for more information concerning our church. Again, thank you for joining us today. Turn with me to Galatians, the second chapter. We're going to be sharing a few verses of Scripture. Um, I would like to say from the depth of my heart to all of our moms in this room, we love you and we cherish you and we thank you for all that you do. The unsung heroes of most families are the mother. They, they take on burdens that we don't see. They, they pray prayers that we don't ever hear. And they worry and, 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 and pray and, and have faith sometimes when we don't have faith. And I wonder if anybody in this room would just like to give our moms a, a round of applause this morning that are here. Amen. And those that are not with us this morning, we appreciate you and we thank you. Uh, I thank God that I was privileged to have a mother that loved God and taught me to, to turn to God with what was going on in my life. I thank God for that. And I thank God for a godly wife that has been a good mother. I did look at her this morning and say, today would not be possible without me, so you're welcome. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just playing. All right. We're talking about masks, and we're going to continue this series on, on the masquerade. And we've been talking about the different types of masks that we tend to wear uh, as individuals and as churches and how if we're going to truly see revival in our day, we've got to lay aside the mask. We've got to lay aside and be real and be open, be transparent, and be honest about where we are with God. And one thing that I, I really try to, to push here at our local church is that we are real people in need of a real God, and there is no one in this room that can boast of perfection. We're all a work in progress. We're all uh, desperately needing Jesus to help us through situations in our life. So today we're going to be talking about something that's dear to my heart, and it is the mask of culture. Um, I, I was privileged for a short period in my life after college to work as a missionary in the nation of Greece. Um, I was in Greece, Romania, Bulgaria, um, got to visit Israel while I was there. And I will tell you, as a 22-year-old out of college, there was so much that was going on, it was hard to absorb everything that I experienced in that time. And it has taken me many years to unravel that and to really look at that and, and dissect what God was teaching me so many years ago as really a young man, a young I still consider myself a kid. And so I, I returned to the United States, and uh, what, what was so uh, overwhelming was the culture shock of church. Um, I, I went from an area uh, that was desperate for God. I went from an area that, uh, you know, especially in the Balkans in Romania and Bulgaria, that were desperate to, to hear hope desperate to hear uh, that, that Jesus could help their situation, to really a gospel-hardened nation, which is our nation. We, we have heard so much the truth that we have become kind of dulled to it. And now the truth has become dulled, so you, it's kind of hard to cut a tough piece of meat with a dull knife. And you say a tough piece of meat, I'm talking about the heart of man. The heart of man has become hardened 
uh, over the years, especially in the United States. Now, I love my country. I wouldn't be here if God hadn't sent me back here. But I did argue with God a little bit about coming back here because I went from a nation from nations that were hungry for the gospel and open to the gospel, coming back to what I knew would be people who were very closed off to the truth. But I am thankful because I believe because of circumstances and situations that have been going on throughout our nation and throughout this world, people's hearts are beginning to tenderize a little bit now. And I believe that the stone that was there is breaking up and that God is breaking up the fallow ground, the hardened ground of our hearts. And once again, I believe people are longing for truth instead of what tickles their ears. There are plenty of churches that will tickle your ears. I promise you, this is not one of them. But I will preach the truth, but I'm going to preach it with as much love of God that I, as I can. Because the truth without love is a strong medicine that is hard to swallow and many will not swallow it. But you can tell me a lot of things when I know you love me. And I want to tell you something this morning. I love you. But there is a mask of culture that has surrounded the church from the very beginning. Even in the times of Christ, when he left and ascended back to the Father, the church would begin to have a cultural war within itself in a few short years. Because God's message was never intended to be selected to a short little stack of group or group of people that are piled together. His message was meant to go to every nation and every tongue throughout the entire world. But yet we, uh, or they had kind of made it a Jewish Christianity up until the time that Paul would enter the scene and even Peter in sh some short little spurts had, had ventured out among the Gentiles to speak to the Gentiles. But for the most part, they believed, okay, God can save a Gentile, but he needs to accept the Jewish culture first, then he can become a Christian. This became such a great debate that the book of Acts has a has a, 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 a whole section of it where it had come to a what we know as the Jerusalem Council. They met together to decide the issue of circumcision. Circumcision was how you became a good Jew, how you became coveted as a child of Abraham. And they were saying to the Gentiles, you got to become a Jew and go through circumcision, the covenant, the first covenant, before you can accept the covenant of Christ. And this became a cultural war within the body of Christ. And we need to understand this is not a new battle. This is an old battle that's going on. But I want to declare to you right off the bat, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, Jesus is not a black Jesus, a white Jesus. He's not. He is Jesus to all tongues and all nations. He's not a Hispanic Jesus. He is the Savior of the world, and we got to get that through our heads, that he is ready to save this community, no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you're from, and it doesn't matter about the color of the skin, because it's the condition of the heart that has to be changed. And I'm here to declare, oh, I was going to give a calm introduction, that God's ready to bring revival to Tatuga County, but it's going to come when the church stands up and says, enough with cultural war. We want to be what God wants us to be. We lay aside the mask of culture, and we become who Christ wants us to be. Because when we all came to the cross, we came in the same condition. Let's, let's look a little bit into what I want to talk about today. The gospel unifies people of all nations, races, ethnicities, cultures, education, and economic status. In other words, the cross is the great leveling place where we all come in need of the same thing, salvation from our sins. The gospel is, is over culture. It is Therefore, it, it supersedes all culture, and it can adapt to any culture that it's in. It can This message 
message of hope and love and of salvation will preach in any nation. That's the one lesson that I left that is the most valuable lesson of being at the mission field. People would endure literally an hour-long sermon because it was 15 minutes in my language, but by the time it went through a translator, it would take over an hour, and they would endure that and then and, and listen very carefully and think, you would think this thing's dead. But, uh, you know, I, I would go through a sermon when I was in Greece, and it would be translated into the Greek language, and I would feel like this is going nowhere, this is dead, this is life, that has no life in it, because, you know, it's, it's kind of hard. We had one translator, and, and he would get distracted very easily. He was kind of ADHD, he was, he, he, and, and, and so he would, he would be up translating, and if you, if, if, I remember one time I was preaching at a church in, in downtown Athens, and I was preaching a youth rally, and so they, I would say a word, and you would say one phrase, and then they would repeat it in their language so that the people could hear the message, and it was going along really slow because I have a southern draw, and that really messed him up because he didn't understand some of my southern draw, and so I would have to stop and explain it to him, and then, so it was just kind of really chopped up, and I'm thinking, this thing is lifeless, and then he gets distracted by a fly because he's ADHD, and so all of a sudden, this fly is wondering, and he's going like this, and I'm going, hey, 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 we're, we're preaching here. He goes, oh, oh, sorry. And so we finish the message, and I feel like it's hopeless, and I give the altar call, and literally we had uh, just droves of young people come forward. Why? Because even though the message had to go through translation into their language and into their culture, the gospel is still the gospel. It's still sharper than two, any two-edged sword. It pierces to the heart. I want you to know the word is anointed, and it will reach our hearts if we'll allow it. No matter who it goes through or no matter what vehicle it takes, it'll reach souls. It, it, it supersedes culture. In, in other words, number one, is Christianity for everyone? The answer is yes. Number two, is it available to everyone? It is now at a record pace. As you realize that, that Outreach Magazine says at the pace in which we are reaching uh, uh, other nations that they predict by the year 2030, the gospel will be in every nation across the world. Yeah, you can praise God for that. You need, to, you need to praise God for that, but that ought to be a wake-up call to some of us because what does the prophecy say? What did Jesus say? That he's not coming back until what? Every nation is reached with the gospel. So say we reach, folks, we got a short little period of time before that happens. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying we need to wake up, church. Things are happening, and some of us, we're playing games, and we're going to be caught not ready. How much does a person need to remove from their culture to become a Christian? In other words, there are cultural things that we have to lay aside and change in our lives that, that in, in order to become a Christian, but we need to realize that we lay those things aside under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You don't get perfect to get saved. You don't get right to get right. Some of y'all should be shouting. You don't get right. Look at, okay, I'm going to have to do it this way. Everybody get your preaching finger. Come on. Point to your neighbor and say, you don't have to get right to get right. And if that ain't powerful enough, add a little ha to it. You don't have to get right to get right. Jesus says, you let me come into your life and I'll begin to work on your life. And, you, and guess what? It is a lifetime process. 
My dad turned 94 this past week, and I guarantee if he was standing here today, he would tell you, I've not yet attained. Just like Paul, I've not yet got there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not perfect yet. I'm still, he's still working on me. He's still transforming my life. I wonder if anybody in this room would say, you know what? He's not done with me yet. He's still working on my life. There are things that are not right. There are things that aren't perfect, but I serve a perfect Jesus, and his blood was washes me clean. And that is an ongoing process in our lives. Amen. You're not done yet. You're not done yet. The issue about the gospel and culture is not a new one. Christians have struggled with the gospel and the effects of culture since the beginning of the, uh, the very beginning. Today in our scripture, we're going to look in our anchor verses found in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and I'm going to share what Paul had to say to the Galatian church. Then after 14 years, verse 1, he says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. In other words, Paul says, I've been preaching to these Gentiles and I've been preaching to them that they didn't need to become a Jew. They didn't need to get right before they got right. That's what he was saying. And I wanted to make sure with the elders that I wasn't running in vain, that I was doing the right thing. In other words, he says, I am accountable, and I'm making myself accountable. There's a lot of people that don't want to make themselves accountable to anybody. I've got news for you. Paul, one of the greatest writers, one of the greatest heroes of the New Testament, said, I made myself accountable for what I have been preaching and saying, am I doing this in vain? Is this the wrong message? Because if I, I'm open for correction, I'm open for what you have to say. He goes on, he says uh, in verse 3, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek, a Gentile. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for, uh, for you. In other words, Paul is saying in this passage, he's saying there are people who came in that didn't like the freedom that we had, the freedom that Jesus gave us, and so they were trying to put something on us that wasn't needed to be put on us and we didn't submit to them because we saw through them i got news for you some of us if we're not careful we try to put more on people than we put on ourselves we expect more out of others than we do our own selves and God is saying, look at yourself. Look at where you're at. In other words, I'm, I, I can't put a yoke of bondage on you that I don't expect. I'm not going to walk a walk that I don't expect. I can't tell you to walk a walk that I won't walk myself. Amen. And I believe that there's a lot of times that people are doing that. People come to church and they come with good intentions and, and they've got messed up things in their lives. And we're looking at them, we're saying, you know what? If you do this and this and this and this, then you would get closer to the Lord. And we've not done any of those things for years. In other words, if you would pray every day, read your Bible every day, if you go through this, you would be closer to God. And we're trying to saddle them with religion when Jesus came to offer relationship to you and I. What is relationship? Relationship is a work thing. Amen. When I got married, I, I didn't realize that, that, that it was, you know, the preacher got up and said, what was once two is now one. And I, re I didn't realize one takes a lifetime becoming one. The declaration was there, but guess what? 
How many of you married couples would say it's a lifetime process becoming one? Okay. Jesus declared me forgiven, set free. But guess what? I had to realize my chains were on the ground and walk away from them. I had to realize the prison door that I, the prison that I was in, the doors were open. I just had to walk through them. Amen. Amen. He goes on and says, and for those who seem to be influential, what they were, that, that they were uh, makes, makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. I want you to get that. God shows no partiality. In other words, God is not looking at the culture. He's looking at the heart. Those, I say, who seem influential added nothing to me. He's saying these who thought they were something, these who thought that they were important, they added nothing to my walk with God. And I want you to understand something. God doesn't care about your position, your title. He don't care about, uh, all he cares about is your name. One day I'm going to go to heaven and God's not going to ask for a copy of my minister's credentials. He's not, he's not going to ask for, to see the church roll. What he's going to look and he's saying, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Because that's the only place it really matters. It doesn't matter if you hold the title pastor, youth pastor, children's pastor, deacon, bishop, whatever title you want to throw out there. That might make you feel good. That might make you feel important. But what matters is that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that you hear Jesus say to you one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the, what I prepared for you. Enter into to the joy that I have for you. What are you looking for? The applause of men or the applause of God? On the contrary, he says, verse 7, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel of the circumcised, let me rephrase that so we'll understand maybe a little better. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been uh, entrusted with the gospel to the Jews, for he who worked through Peter for the apostolic ministry to the Jews or the circumcised worked also through me for my to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, in other words, these were, were pillars of the church. They were people that, uh, that, that literally things were built upon, is what he's saying. The church was being built upon their ministries. He said, perceive the grace that was given to me. They gave me the right hand uh, of fellowship to Barnabas and me that they should go, or that we should go to the Gentiles that they, and, and they to the circumcised. Only they asked to us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. He's saying, when I went to these brothers and they saw the grace of God on me, when they saw the anointing of the Holy Spirit on me and Barnabas, they blessed us and said, you keep doing what you're doing. You keep preaching to who you're preaching. I've got news for you. I'm going to preach to whoever God gives me an opportunity to preach to. I don't care where they're from. I don't care how they smell. I don't care how they act. I'm going to tell you, if you're nursing a hangover this morning, Jesus loves you and he died for you and he's ready to do something in your life and you can still have your hangover and get right. You say, well, he needs to get rid of this and she needs to get rid of that. I got news for you. Let Jesus get in their heart and start working on the rest. I'm not a big fan of church signs. I don't like marquees. Some people do. Um, I don't. If you do, forgive me, but I don't. I don't like catchy phrases on the church signs, but one caught my attention that I've always loved, and it says, you catch them, let God clean them. 
It's not my job to clean people. I can't do it. You can't do it. I, if you can't, guess what? You can't nag somebody into submission to Christ. You can't force somebody to choose what's right. All you can do is preach the truth. All you can do is love the soul. Amen? And let the Holy Spirit do the rest. I've shared with you many, many times, I know how to bring condemnation. I can do it, and guess what? You can do it. I can make everybody in this room feel guilty, and I can keep till, uh, till the pressure is on, and you'll do one or two things. You'll leave mad, or you'll come forward feeling guilty. And you may come forward and feel guilty, and you may actually pray and say, Jesus, forgive me. But then you leave here, and you go right back into what you were doing. That's what condemnation brings. But I want to share something with you this morning. I'm not after condemnation. I'm after Holy Ghost conviction to hit the hearts of people. Because there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction will draw you to a life change. Condemnation will make you pray the guilt off. How many ever prayed the guilt off? My dad was a pastor. I did it almost every Sunday. That's awful. Well, that's because I played with the deacon's kids. They were awful. Got me into all kinds of trouble. But I can remember I would come and pray the guilt away, but there was no real change in the heart. Anybody, anybody join me there? Anybody ever done that? Water's good, isn't it? Come on, y'all. Be honest. Join me. You pray the guilt off, but you're not, there's no intention of change. There's no intention of my life's going to change. I just want to not feel guilty for a moment, but yet I find myself, maybe I can last a day or two days or even a week or a month, but I'll go back to that familiar sin. That is why Paul says, lay aside the sin that does so easily trip you or beset you. He says, put it aside. He said, why? Because it's that one thing keeps tripping you up because you're feeling condemnation but not conviction. Conviction causes life change. Conviction makes me go to the cross and say, I don't want this anymore. Not that I feel bad about it and I don't want to do it no more. It's I don't want it anymore. How many of you were ever addicted to a substance, either drugs or alcohol, and, and, and you would say, I had to get to the point where I quit feeling bad about it and I let God take it from me, and I said, I don't want it anymore. Anybody in the room, I didn't want it anymore. I was turning away from it because I realized that there was a better life. There was a better way. Amen. See, Jesus in his ministry on earth gathered the 12 and he wanted to go to a place called Samaria. He was mapping out where the gospel was eventually going to take them anyway. He was saying, I need to go through Samaria. You know, the Jews would rather deal with, the Samar with, a, with a Gentile than they would a Samaritan because a Samaritan was a half-breed is the way they looked at them. They were part Jew and part other nationality. And so they say, they, we don't want nothing to do with them because they think they are godly, but they're really not. And Jesus said, guess what? I can go a whole lot of ways, but I'm going through Samaria. I like the way the King James phrase that. I must needs go through Samaria. He's saying, I'm compelled. I have to. Why? Because there's people there that need my help, and I will go to those who need the help. I'm not going to just take in the house of Abraham. Church, if we're going to reach souls, we can't be picky where God leads us. If we're going to reach lives, we can't be picky where God leads us. I'm afraid some churches want you to submit a resume before they'll ever love you. 
I got news for you. God called us to do two things, to love him and love others. Amen? But love is not an overlooking love. Love is a love of correction. Amen? If my... When, when, when my children were small, if I walked in and they were playing with one of my guns, if I looked and said, hey, I don't really want you to do that because I love you, but I don't take the gun, am I really loving them? But I really want the gun, Dad, because I, want, I like the way it goes bang. Oh, well, if it'll make you happy, that's good. Hope it turns out well because I love you and I don't want to hurt your feelings. Folks, this is what we're doing in the world today, and this is the gospel that's being preached in most pulpits today. Go do what you want, and God will love you anyway. I've got news for you. He loves you. That is not questionable. His love for you was settled on the old rugged cross. It was settled when he said, For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave his son before you were even born. He gave his son before you were even thought of. He gave his son because he loved the world and said, I want to redeem the world. But guess what? He didn't force it on you. He's not forcing it on you. It is whosoever chooses. He's wanting you to choose Jesus this morning. He's wanting you to choose life this morning. It has always been a choice with God. In the very early church, everyone was Jewish. I want you to think about that. There was no question of culture in the early church. Jesus was Jewish, the disciples were Jewish, all the followers were Jewish. And then Philip had to get a wild hair and, and go preach to an Ethiopian man. Most believe he was an Ethiopian Jew. Now, for those who want to think it's a white gospel, they need to think again because guess what? The very first missionary was an Ethiopian man who got right with Jesus and went back to Ethiopia, so Africa was invaded by the gospel. Think about that. But it was Jewish. In fact, many Christians would make a practice of gathering in the temple. And it was like a church building to them, even though the church would not have a building for, for 300 years it was designated a church. Geographically, the church would gather in synagogues or in homes, but they were with believers outside or in, in public gathering places. So Christianity was exclusively made up of people who were formerly Jews who now had accepted Jesus into their lives as Savior. You can see that the Christian church started, it was very much culturally tied to the Jewish faith. It was very much a Jewish church. The church members were Jewish. They lived in the center of Judaism, Jerusalem. In the minds of many, the early believers, they thought they would never cross their, the thought would never cross their minds that Jesus came to reach the Gentiles. However, God began to do a work in his apostles, and one was the apostle Peter when he went to sleep and he had a vision. And he had a vision of many unclean things being sanctified and being cleansed. And the Lord telling him, rise up and eat. And when he rose up out of that dream, at the door was a Gentile party that had come to see him. And he invited them in. That was a big, a big no-no if you were a Jew. You didn't let Gentiles in your house. But he invited them in because God had already spoke to his heart. What I've cleansed, I've cleansed. And I am ready to do a work in these people. I'm ready to cross across cultural lines. I've got news for you. I don't want Harvest to be a white church, a black church, a Hispanic church. Why don't we just be a people church and reach everybody we can reach before the Lord returns? That's the kind of church I want to be. 
because we serve a God of no partiality. What they had was great. Their families, their friends who were joining the church left and right, they were all part of them. They shared the same great music, the same great food, and the same accent and languages. They all dressed alike. They all had the same political preferences. They all hated the Romans. They were all the same race, and they all looked like each other. For all practical purposes, they were all the same. This community was tight, so tight that they shared everything with everyone according to the book of Acts. Remember that? They became a forever family, and they shared everything with everyone. But then, just like God loves us, he allowed them to walk through something that would forever change them. In Acts, the 8th chapter, verses 1 through 3, persecution was spread through a man named Saul. They suffered their first loss when Stephen was stoned in the streets for his, for his message of hope. Paul, who was writing this letter that we have been reading this morning, was one of the most powerful instigators of persecution in the early church. This is why Saul, heading, same guy, Paul, Saul, heading out to Damascus in an attempt to head off the spread of the influence of the gospel. This persecution was harsh, with families being split up, people being dragged into prison and left there or even executed. I want you to think about that. Persecution had to come in order to, to see the gospel spread beyond the Jewish people. And aren't you thankful for that? Because you and I wouldn't be here today if it hadn't have happened. How could God let this happen? There was nothing good about persecution. People's lives were being ruined in a hurry. But there was one thing and one thing alone that persecution caused. The Jewish Christians scattered and many fled Jerusalem and the gospel was no longer a local phenomena, but it began to be a world phenomena. All of a sudden, missionaries were spread out all over. Let me just put it this way. Uh, it, it, I, I like what... what um, what Charles Finney says in his book, The Kingdom Highway, he says this phrase, he says, it is, the, it is persecution that fans the, to flame uh, uh, the, the fire of revival. It is when persecution comes upon the church that revival happens the greatest. Let me tell you a for instance that you might remember. Anybody remember 2020? Anybody remember what began to happen to churches and still happening in some states? The church... No, we weren't being dragged into the streets very much. We were uh, told we can't meet. And I got news for you. I'm going to publicly state this. I will never shut the doors again because the government says to shut the doors. I'll never do it again. They don't dictate what we do here. They can just take me off to jail. Y'all cook some chicken and get me out. People got scared, and they turned to the church. And they turned in the oddest places. They began to click their phones and to click their internet. And we average a few hundred views a service. That's what we usually do here. We might hit three, 400 views. That's our average on, on our Facebook page. But do you realize during COVID, we hit up over 4,000 views a Sunday? And it wasn't just our church. It was churches all over the world. People were scared. 
it's amazing to me people say church is an outdated vehicle. It needs to, to probably just go away. But yet when the floods hit Somerville, where did the world turn to? The church. The church must be a beacon of hope, but a beacon of hope for all people of all creeds. The mask of culture has to be laid aside. And church has to become its own culture. Do you hear what I'm saying? Who's got one on? Eric, stand up. Come here. You got to be fast. They're gonna, I'm going to blame the long sermon on you. Y'all see how long he took? Over 30 minutes to get here. It was awful. No, hurry on. Somebody read that. That ain't a harvest thing. That's a Jesus thing. That's a Jesus thing. Guess what? There are people at First Baptist, they're part of this. There are people over at Dry Valley, they're part of this. There are people over at New Generation, they're part of this. There are people, you name the church, and I could just keep naming, those who are bought with the blood are a part of God's forever family. And when we begin to see it that way, we will change the world. I'm going to wrap this up. Don't get excited. That usually means 15 more minutes. Some of you are like, all right, we're getting to lunch early. The church was scattered, and so was the gospel message. Then in chapter 8 of the books of Acts, book of Acts, we see the gospel spread for the first time outside those who were Jewish origin. We see Philip going to the Samaritan. We see the Samaritan people, uh, the Samaritans who were people who were part of the Jewish community in many cultures. They were tied to the Jews, Jews but they were not Jewish, but they still looked Jewish. So this wasn't too much of a cultural stretch, but it was a beginning. But then in the same chapter, we some, something amazing happens. The gospel leaps outside Jewish culture as an Ethiopian begins to share the is shared the gospel is baptized by Philip not just him and his but his whole household and now all of a sudden the gospel is spread to Africa you see what's happening here in fact the church was the uh, the church with the oldest and longest ties to the early christian church in Jerusalem resides in Africa did you realize that Africa has been christian longer than any other nation outside the middle east or a continent outside the middle east in the book of Acts chapter 14, we see that almost by accident, the gospel is accepted by people in the city of Antioch who were definitely not of Jewish origin. And guess what? The problem is born. The people in Antioch don't look anything like the Jewish Christians. They speak another language. They eat different food. The Judeo-Christian mindset of the early church was now being rocked. And they were some, there were some people who were honestly repulsed by this. A good Jew will not associate with Gentiles, especially Greeks. A modern-day way of saying it is simply this. They were racist, they were prejudiced, and they were against anyone who was not of Jewish origin. I will say this publicly. It is no place for racism in the house of God. There is no place for racism in the house of God. We are God's children. Let's act that way. You say, is that going on? I hope not, but I'm going to take care of it now. If you don't like it, leave. Because I'm going to love people. 
I'm going to reach people. How about you, church? Because I didn't realize, but through Christ, or some of us don't realize, but through Christ, we now are a part of the children of Abraham. There are only several million Jews on planet Earth. Did you know that? That's it. But what was his promise to Abraham? Your children will be as the stars of the heaven and the sands of the sea. We're part of Abraham's family. How? Because of Jesus. Very simply put, we are now the sons and the daughters of God through Christ. The invasion of Western culture in the church mindset has been crippling it for years. We have westernized the gospel. Let me just, some of you may know the answer to this. But when you read about Jesus saying that if you hurt one of these little ones, talking about children, it's better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and cast in the sea. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking Sopranos. Thinking, thinking mob. I'm thinking concrete slippers, you know. You know, tie, tie a big old rock around their neck, throw them in the ocean, they drown. No, this millstone was humongous. It was much bigger than our baptismal. It, was, it would tower over me. And Jesus says, if you hurt a child, you, it's better for you to take one of those and put it around your neck. He was, he was being very, very uh, uh, um, expressive in his message. He's saying, that's how I love children. Because you might slip a little rock off your, you might, you might be able to struggle enough to get out of the water. That you ain't getting to escape from. But see, we westernize it to make it more palatable. We westernize the gospel, and it makes it easier for some of us. But you need to understand something. It's not a Middle Eastern religion. It's not a Western religion. It's not an Asian religion, an African religion. It's not a European religion. It is relationship with God brought to man. He never intended Christianity to become a religion because Christianity is the story of a loving God sending his son to bridge the gap between a holy God and a sinful man. And so when he stretched out his arms on the cross, he took the hand of the Father and he took my hand and he said, no longer separate but through me, reunited. Will you stand? We create our own cultures within our own churches. Someone asked me not long ago, they said, What are you, Pastor? Are you Baptist? Evidently, they don't know me. Are you Pentecostal? This is going to shock you. Evidently, they don't know me. No, I'm saved. 
When are we going to just start being God's people? And quit wearing the brand. Because I've never met a perfect Pentecostal, and I've sure not met a perfect Baptist or Methodist. I've not met anybody of any religion or division of religion that is perfect. But I sure have some great friends that worship in other churches that I know are on their way to heaven, and they're part of my family. That's culture. You see, we, we divided into subculture. I grew up Church of God of Prophecy, and we had our own ABCs. If I said Royal Rangers, how many of you would know what I say, what I'm talking about? Royal Rangers, anybody know that? All right, a few of y'all do. Awanas. Anybody know that? I have no idea what a Royal Ranger is or Awanas, but I know what a Gleaner is. I know what a VLB is. What is a VLB? Victory Leaders Band. That was the youth group. We called everything bands, but we never got instruments. I don't understand that. But we created these subcultures within Christianity. And we isolated ourselves. And we cut ourselves off. I got some brothers and sisters here that go to other churches. They're here to watch a baptism today. But I say that with all the love I can. Brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus, we're part of the same family. One of my favorite phrases is we're one body ministering in multiple locations. And when we get to heaven, if you've got your harvest shirt on and you're looking for people, you're like, I want to sit in the harvest section. I believe angels are going to snicker and laugh. Okay, sure. But there's no sections. I like the song, The Old Rugged Cross. It says, for the last, I lay my trophies down. Did y'all realize we got royalty here? Miss Chatuga is here. And hey, girl, if you, if you run for the title, take the, take the bows. I'm proud of you. I am. I'm proud of you. But you know what I thought of when I saw that picture? And you look beautiful. And all the rest of you guys look beautiful. But I thought about those trophies and those crowns and all those. And I thought about one day, we're just going to lay those all at his feet. All our accomplishments, everything about us that we've done. We're going to look at Jesus and we're going to say, it means nothing compared to you in my life. You're the one thing. We're going to lay that stuff down because it's not going to matter. This morning, I want to give a very simple altar call. And it's, there's two repentance that I, need, I feel like needs to take place. Number one, if you are not saved, you don't know you would go to heaven. Or maybe you're questioning whether you would. Maybe there's things in your life that aren't right that you need to get right. This altar is open and there is absolutely no shame. Because I can tell you, this is one pastor I don't carry around a bag of rocks. But I'll sure, sure write in the sand. Because <laughs> I love you. So if you got some stuff you need to work on with you and God, that's what this place is for. 
And so I'm going to invite you to come. If you, if you don't know you're right with God, I want you to come. And I just want us to pray. And I'm not going to lead you in some formal prayer and declare your salvation because guess what? It's your mouth that needs to confess, your tongue that needs to say it. Your prayer between you and your God that loves you so much. So if you need something from the Lord this morning, don't wait on somebody else to come. Just slip out of your seat. Come get it because God's ready. That's the first thing. The second altar call is simply this, a call to repent of my tunnel vision of church. My culturally biased opinions of church. Because if we're going to see revival in Chattooga County and beyond, it's going to be when the church begins to lay aside its titles and its ideas and we are a forever family. Bought and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You see, there can't be revival without repentance. And the one thing that troubles me in my core is when the church hears a challenge but says, I don't need change. That's for somebody else. No, we need change. And so, again, if you got some stuff that you and God need to work on in your life, I want you to come while they sing this song. I would love to pray with you. If you need to get saved, I'd love to pray with you. And our intercessors would love to pray with you and tell you about this Jesus that loves you so much. But if you're like me and you need to find a place and say, God, I want to open my mind to what you're really doing. Just like you opened the mind of the Jewish church to realize that Jesus didn't die for one group. He died for all. Lord, that you'll open my mind to start reaching to people that I've, I've give up on. Some of us, we give up on some folks. Or we think they'll never accept. (laughs) I know he's not here today, but I wish Heath was here. Heath was all in his biker clothes. Him and Heather came to Willow Tree, and they came by the table, and he's hugging up on me. And one of the (laughs) servers looked over at Paige and said, what's your dad talking to that biker for? (laughs) He said, oh, he goes to our church. I love it. Let's reach people. Let's love people. And let's see a world change. I know that some of us need to pray. Don't let anything hold you back. We would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. We pray that you receive something from the Lord today. Please share your prayer requests and testimonies with us by emailing us at tryonhwc at gmail.com. If you would like more information concerning Harvest Worship Center, you can visit our website at tryonhwc.com. We would love for you to visit us in person sometime. Our services are held at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Children's worship is during our 11 a.m. service. If you would like to give to the ministries of Harvest Worship Center, you can also do this by clicking the Giving tab online. 
Once again, we would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray you have a blessed week.